home of the 76ers. Oh boy, what a move by Embiid! 97.3 ESPN, WENJ, WENJHD, Millville, Atlantic City. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. We expect to win every time we step on the field. You know, that's just the mindset that we have. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, Football at Four, powered by Inside the Birds. Check out the latest Inside the Birds podcast as a lot to discuss today with Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds podcast, talking a lot about Deshaun Jackson, I imagine, as uh, we will as well. It's brought to you today by Sugarhouse Online Sportsbook. If you're going to watch golf, watch it the right way, bet on it. Go to playsugarhouse.com, start betting golf, UFC, boxing, Korean baseball, and much more. Must be 18 or older to play gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's bring in Jeff Mosher as we dive a little deeper into the latest on Deshaun Jackson as he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Mosh, what's up, pal? How are you guys doing? All right, uh, plenty to dive right into, obviously. This was uh, something that kind of came out of right field the other night, and then it just kind of snowballed yesterday. Let's get to where we are right now. Yesterday, the response to Deshaun Jackson's social media post for which Jackson uh, apologized by video once and then by a note twice. The Eagles issued a statement, said the team will take appropriate action. We don't know what action that will be. Uh, so, where yesterday were the Eagles with their statement? When you read that statement, what read the tea leaves on that statement and what you took from it. Yeah, I thought the statement really conveyed uh, the type of anger that the organization felt toward Deshaun's posts. I mean, the the wording in the in the statement to me was clear because it said, irregardless of what Deshaun meant to say, the words that were expressed were, quote, offensive, harmful, and absolutely appalling. And it added that the team would take appropriate action. And I thought that it was important that they said, irregardless of intent, you know, um, ignorance is not an excuse all the time to be able to get away with saying or expressing or sharing any kind of sentiments that are anti-Semitic or racist. We don't, we don't accept that for anybody of any race, religion, or culture to defame another one uh, based on just, I didn't know. And, and to be honest with you, Deshaun's 33. You should know when you're sharing something that has Adolf Hitler's name on it, whether it's attributed correctly to Adolf Hitler or not, that that's a terrible thing to do. And so the organization was appalled. Uh, you saw to the point where Deshaun had to even re-apologize with a better worded statement than his initial video, which I thought was not a great apology. And, and the words in that video that seemed to say, I'm, I didn't mean it in the way that you guys took it, was sort of an example that maybe he wasn't fully comprehending the gravity of the of the post and the situation and how the organization felt about it. So by the end of the night, I felt we were, we being just us as the public, but everybody involved was on a path here toward a better understanding. It sounds as if uh, Deshaun is going to um, talk with some religious uh, community leaders, some rabbis, um, make make a visit to a, to a rabbi and, and get a little better understanding and education. Um, 
And, and I think that's what the organization wants to see from Deshaun. You know, Adam Kaplan put it out on our, on our video uh, yesterday on the Inside the Birds YouTube channel that th- this thing isn't done. Uh, Deshaun still has to demonstrate, at least according to what Adam reported from his sources, a better understanding and be more of an advocate for equality for everyone um, that, uh, going forward. That the, this, yesterday wasn't the last of it, and so we'll see. Uh, what goes from from here on out. Right. So there was a report yesterday that basically noted that Jackson met with Lori and Roseman and mm-hmm. that while Lori was very disappointed by the post, no suspension, no termination. He hasn't been cut, has been discussed. We're not sure. But uh, there was a report from Adam Schefter that essentially said that this could come down to, down to a financial thing. Can they find something in that contract? As you mentioned, Adam Kaplan said the team met with Jackson and the agent and that the situation's not going away. And could that be referring to what Schefter said, is if they can find something in the contract, would the Eagles be willing to cut ties, or are they more tied to him uh, because they know what he means to him and they want to see him kind of learn from this more than just get rid of him? Right, and that depends on uh, the language in the contract of what conduct, what is conduct detrimental to the team, and can that be invoked to a point in which they can get out of the guaranteed money? But I think that's tied into Deshaun Jackson's action over the next few days. I don't think that if they find a loophole right now and right. they feel like they can get out of the contract right now, they're going to pull the trigger. I, I think Jeffrey Lurie has shown that he has a tolerance for his players who make mistakes as long as they're willing to make amends for their mistakes. And that's why I think it's still important, uh, like it was for Michael Vick, like it was for Riley Cooper, and now for Deshaun Jackson to, you know, get a better educated, you know, get some lessons learned and then become a better person because of it. Right. That's what I was asking. If they found this loophole, they wouldn't automatically just say, ah, we got a way out of this. They would want to see his actions first before acting on a potential loophole. That's what I suspect, and I think that's what Adam was trying to convey also from his sources in, in um, YouTube. Now, what goes on behind closed doors, and, you know, Jeffrey Lurie may go to bed tonight saying, you know what, this just isn't right with me no matter what, and change his mind, and, and maybe if something in that contract would allow him to get out of it, maybe he would make that decision. But I, I do feel like that what we suspect is true is that he's going to give Deshaun a chance to make it right. How much does the fact that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman are part of the Jewish community plays a role in the outcome of what happens? I, I don't know. I think the easy answer to that, Hunter, would be well. Obviously, um, they may have um, it, it may it hits home with them because Jeffrey and and Howie are both Jewish, and not just Jewish in in religion, but also in practice and and how they identify themselves. So. Uh, I think that matters. But really, we wouldn't know unless they weren't Jewish, right, and how they would react to that kind of situation. Would they have as as strong of a reaction? You would hope so. You would hope that just like they're, you know, Jeffrey Lurie is not an African-American, but when Riley Cooper used the N-word, he was very adamant that that, that something had to be done. Uh, And so Riley Cooper had to, you know, went away for a week and um, apparently got counseling during that week. You know, that that was what was said and told. I don't know if anybody ever really followed up on that, but that, that was supposed to be the case um and you know they, they took a stance on it as an organization there 
but they gonna, also gave a second chance. Right. I was going to follow up. How much is there dealing uh, with the Cooper situation from 2013? Uh, do they look back on? Do they look back and say we didn't handle that the right way? We could have handled that differently. We could have handled that better. Um, how much of uh, that experience may come into play with the way they handle this? Yeah, I think it is. Int- I, I think it's all wrapped in, not just you know with Riley and with just bringing back Michael Vick after his suspension, which was not related to anything racial, but still, I think it's just the idea that Jeffrey Lurie is an owner who believes in second chances. And because he sets that precedent, I think it would look a little strange if he all of a sudden decided not to give a second chance. But again, I, I just think it's in, you know, Howie Roseman is someone who thinks very fondly of Deshaun, brought him back. They have a good relationship. It was once not always great, but is now fine. Um, and Jeffrey, the same way. I mean, he wants, he, he gives these guys a second chance. Now, to, if we want to have a real discussion, I mean, if, if if Deshaun Jackson were a rookie free agent who had done nothing in the NFL, maybe he'd be cut. And then the same thing for if Riley Cooper back then was not a, you know, at the time a potential starter slash role, significant role player. If he was just a guy on the bottom of the roster, maybe he'd be cut too. And that's, that's the way it goes in professional sports, rightly or wrongly. That's just the way it is. But I do think that precedent uh, in, in the past impacts the decision now. And some people say, well, it's a different – time now and maybe different time calls for different action and maybe a different owner or somebody else in charge would say that but it's just not been in jeffrey's history he's always willing to give people second chances as long as they make amends is there any news about marquise goodwin because he commented on deshaun jackson's post essentially talking about how he hoped that people cared about the black Lives matters issues the same way that people have outraged towards deshaun jackson so i don't know if there was any comments inside about what marquise goodwin had to say no i mean i saw it and it just to me you know i'm gonna make a broader statement here i would never discourage anybody from using great resources like twitter or facebook or social media but at, at some point i think we all just need to put stop arguing and talking and trying to convince people and trying to rationalize or trying to defend or trying to attack or trying to critique on social media it's it's just an abyss and there are enough stories that have come out now by people institutions that have studied social media for us to really understand that a very large percentage of comments made on social media, people you think you're responding to, people think you're having an argument with or a discussion with, or you think you're educating or you're attacking are not actually people. They're in their bot accounts. They're intentionally created accounts whose sole purpose is to lure you into uh, or to sow seeds of, of bitterness and division inside you. So, to me, like when I hear all this commenting, I hope this on Twitter or this person said this on their Instagram. It, it, to me, I just wish everybody would just chill out <laughs> on being the first to run to social media to argue or criticize or defend or attack. I think Twitter, social media, Facebook, all that could be very good in, as far as sharing reputable stories from reputable uh, outlets and people in the media. But the, the, the conversations that people think that they're having are complete it's like living in the truman show it's not what you think it is so i just in general would recommend people to 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 spend more time reading books reading you know real literature whatever the subject matter is than arguing with a potential bot on social media 
Uh, Jeff Mosher, it's uh, Football at Four, powered by Inside the Birds. Check out the latest podcast. Uh, go deeper into all of the Eagles offseason news and notes, of course. Uh, what, what did you think about some of the stuff Joe Banner? Um, you know, obviously he worked with the Eagles. Um, he probably still knows people there very well. He said if a white player said anything about AAs as outrageous as what Deshaun Jackson said about Jews tonight, there would be at least a serious conversation about cutting him and a need for a team meeting to discuss, which would be totally appropriate. Absolutely indefensible. And that's not all. I mean, he went on yesterday yes. on multiple uh, text. I mean, he felt very strongly about this. I mean, uh, what did you, you know, it, it shows that, uh, you know, I'm imagining if Joe Banner was here still, that there might be a different way this was being handled. Uh, I don't know. You know, it would be, it'd be, it's, that would be interesting because I don't think Joe was in uh, Philly when, I think he was just out when the Riley Cooper. Yeah, he was just in Cleveland, down. I think. So I think Joe's a little bit more to now fr- freely express an opinion on something now that he's removed from being part of a sports franchise when, than when he worked for a sports franchise and had to be a little more buttoned down in what he did and what he said. But, I mean, I, I, I see some inconsistencies. He's saying that if a, if a white player had said something equivalently damaging as to what Deshaun shared on his Instagram – that there would be this, that, and the other. Well, there is this, that, and the other. I mean, we're just we're sitting here talking about the organization, how they feel about what Deshaun said, about looking into his contract to see if they if there's a way out of it and cutting him, about getting him the same type of um, uh, education or counseling or whatever you want to call it, interaction with religious communities that Riley had to do when when he was uh, sent away and yeah. had to get counseling. So I, I, I it, nothing is ever apples. Apples. Well, I think we understand that, and times change. But I do, I, and I know Joe has been very passionate about uh, the Jewish rights, as he is a Jewish person him, himself, and and I understand that from his standpoint. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you, I think he talked. This seems like it's going to come down. And I said this, uh, you know, back at the beginning of the show, which is, I think it's going to, you know, actions speak louder than words. Michael Vick, the actions were there. He said he was going to talk and educate on why. You know, uh, dog fighting was was wrong. He went to schools. Mm-hmm. He went around. He still does that, by the way. People don't realize yep. that Vic still goes and talks about what he did and why it was wrong. Deshaun Jackson. Um, now, some Philadelphia Jewish organizations have offered to work with Jackson. Apparently, Jackson has taken them up on that. He is going to go uh, and and tour some of these places. Uh, there has been some Jewish organizations who have tweeted that they have reached out to Jackson and talked to him and feel uh, that he has been very receptive to them and that they are going to work. But if this words and tweets are all that we see and Jackson doesn't go and tour and talk between now and training camp, we might have a different story. We might. And um, I would think uh, if Deshaun it was truly uh, apologetic the way he was and sincere and genuine about what he said that he will take, you know, take up these actions that he's already said he's going to do and we'll make this thing right. The Eagles put out a statement to season ticket holders and the Ravens are reducing the season, uh, the seating capacity to less than 14,000. Is this the NFL now realizing it's time to seriously consider this? No fans. Yeah, I, th- I think and we've talked about this a little bit, um, that while the NFL has seemingly expressed a full steam ahead sentiment the entire way, I know that behind closed doors, uh, they have planned, as they should, by the way, they have planned for other possible scenarios 
as far as the season not really looking like the season that we know about it. And uh, of course, the Ravens making that announcement um, shows that. But, you know, there's a big, big line in that announcement. And that's the, the part that says if fans are allowed, um, it's expected that the stadium capacity would be fewer than 14,000 seats per game. So there's a big if fans are allowed, which is an acknowledgement that the NFL has obviously considered that there will not uh, there might not be fans allowed. And of course, the Eagles and the Ravens telling season ticket holders that this year is kind of a free pass and they can get their normal seats again the following year as if nothing ever happened is another acknowledgement, of course, that things are going to be different and there's probably not going to be full stands. And, there, uh, you know, there probably won't be half stands either. I'd be very I'm very curious to see if the NFL tries to have a scenario where if you do have fans, is that going to be equal? You know, in Arizona, where in Texas, they, you know, Arizona in particular, they have a, a, clo- a dome stadium, right? It's hard to imagine that they're going to allow anybody in their stadium come September. I don't know, but it's hard to imagine that. Are they going to allow ba- uh, Baltimore to have, you know, 12,000 people in their stadium, but Arizona have none? I would think in the spirit of competitive balance, you either have all stadiums with a certain percentage of capacity or you have no fans in the stands at any stadium. Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds. Check out the Inside the Birds podcast, of course, for uh, a deeper take on all of these topics. Uh, I want to go to J.C. Treader's letter to the public. He basically blasted the NFL. Uh, yeah. Same what's going on in baseball. He's saying they are not taking the safety and health precautions seriously. Um, and to the point where here's the – for people who don't know who that is, he's the head of the Players Association, for represents the players. Um, mm-hmm. And he basically blasted them and said, you know, and now you got uh, high-profile players, Diggs, others saying, don't feel safe yet. Yeah, they don't. And, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of this is because they're right now trying to have, um, just like baseball did, they're trying to have discussions on what they can and can't do, and they're trying to come up with a list of – health and safety protocols to take. And, you know, that's an expansive list. It involves games. It involves practices. It involves what goes on when you're not on the field, but in the in the clubhouses and the meetings. And so it's pretty, you know, it's a litany of important topics. And naturally, you're not going get, to get players and owners to agree 100% on anything. I, I'm a little surprised on everything, I should say. I'm a little surprised Treader went to the public with this because – there have been things that they have agreed on, and I, I thought it was, I, I, I thought it would be more productive, just me personally speaking, if they could continue to have these discussions without somebody blasting somebody else uh, through the media. Nobody likes that. We saw that with baseball. It's just never, um, it's, it's just never good. And, and right now, people, I don't even pe- think people realize that there was any acrimony going on. So it kind of brought that to light, which is never great for the fans during the pandemic anyway. But obviously it does show you that there are a decent amount of disagreements on return to work accommodations and they have to be ironed out. And as a coaching source told me yesterday, um, this source was once pretty confident that camp was going to start on time. And yesterday he said to me, I'm not as confident as I once was. I mean, you know, we saw what happened with baseball with the owners and players, and clearly here there's still a lot to hammer out before anything can can proceed. Denzel Mims was recently playing video games, and he called <laughs> Philadelphia pretty much a dirty-ass, trash-ass city. Didn't he give off a similar vibe to you on ITB-TV back in April? 
Man, can I? Can you guys just replay my my uh, rant from five minutes ago on social media and just just <laughs> you know attach to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely gave off that vibe. For those who don't know, you know, we had Denzel Mims on our uh, Inside the Birds TV, which is still up on our YouTube page uh, in April uh, before the draft. We had him and we had Utah cornerback Jalen Johnson. I forget what team Jalen went to, um, but yeah, Denzel. And I happened to ask him during the interview if he had ever been. To Philadelphia, I wasn't sure, and he mentioned that he was obviously in Baylor. He was coached by Matt Rule. Matt Rule coached the Temple, and I guess there was a team trip at some point to Philadelphia, or several Baylor players in Philadelphia. And he wasn't as vocal and articulate about it as he was in his video game. But in our in our interview, he definitely said he had a bad experience in Philadelphia that kind of rubbed him the wrong way, and you know he didn't really go into it. And I didn't want we were at the end of it. I didn't want to press him too much. He just just basically uh, didn't like his trip to Philadelphia. Now, now it comes out to how his, how he truly feels. Now that he's drafted by a team and he's got that contract he'll sign, he can come out and say it. I just think it's pretty interesting that he's playing for the Jets who represent both North Jersey and New York. And I don't know, I've been in the East Coast all my life. And I think, you know, Philly and New York have a lot uh, of things in common and Boston and D.C. You know, I don't know what separates one from the other as far as, you know, if, you, if you're, you're talking about the uh, – the not the not the nicest parts of the city to me. I mean, what are we talking about here? You know. Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, Jeff Mosher inside the birds. Let's uh, get your take on. But I thought it was in- ironic that Quez Watkins was the first guy signed. I mean, he's a guy who <laughs> I guess you could uh, suggest is similar to Deshaun in build and speed. I mean, I don't know what his role is going to be, but he signed today. By the way, he's the second of the Eagles draft picks to sign. I think they got eight more to go. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that there's any correlation to the Deshaun Jackson thing. I mean, if 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 you if anything, if they signed Jalen Rager today, maybe you would say, "Hey, what's going on?" But um, you know, Quez Watkins will be very, very, very lucky to make the team. And as far as speed goes, I mean, everybody they drafted has speed. So um, it's not not just not just Quez Watkins. So I just think that that happens to be coincidental. Yeah. I think it's Watkins and Prince Tego and Ogo now yep. that are signed. And as you mentioned. Eight to go. It's funny when they signed Prince Tego and Oga. I don't know if everybody said, "Oh man, they really, really are sour on Andre Dillard, aren't they?" I mean, they're really worried. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, uh, and, and you know, we've talked a little bit about this, and we'll probably uh, get a little deeper into this with Adam. And uh, I know Andrew likes to get into this as well. We talked about guys like um, uh, Watkins. They may have a much more difficult time making this team now as this kind of goes back to what you said, that camp might not start on time. There might be no preseason. You know, there's already two down. You might have none. And what that means for a guy like Watkins you know, making the team, it probably, uh, you know, uh, limits his opportunity even that much more, even though he's an intriguing prospect. Yeah, and I'll drop this one on you really quick. There, you know, we we have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. Discussions about return to work and what practice is going to look like. One of the things I may have heard to look out for is: Are there going to be eleven on eleven practices at training camp? Can you imagine if there is some kind of, you know, rule or protocol in place that you can't do eleven on elevens in training camp? That would be unbelievable. Yeah, well, as far I know. As how you get your team I'm prepared. not comparing high school football to the NFL, but that's one of the protocols in the state of New Jersey is you can only have ten people in a group at a time. Well, obviously, mm-hmm. that means somebody uh, is not allowed in the huddle. Well, there you go. That, that's uh, it's it's a new world, and um, the one thing I'm, I feel confident in saying is that 
the quality of the product in September is probably not going to be as good as we've been accustomed to seeing. And we've been already complaining about the quality of the product in September based on other changes to the CBA prior to COVID. That's a good point. Uh, He's Jeff Mosher and, of course, uh, Inside the Birds. Check out their podcasts, of course, uh, before we run. Broads has a knockoff Bash Brothers T-shirt on. He bought Terrible. it from one of the guys on the street. Acceptable, awful. and if you do, he says awful. Yeah, he's not even letting you. No, finish. I can't even get done. It says Bash Brothers, and it's Hoskins and Harper giving the old like uh, forearm smash, and it says Bash Brothers. Yeah, I've been listening to the show, so I was already expecting you to ask me about it. It's off. There's only one Bash Brothers. Uh, we know that. We know it's McGuire and Canseco. You, you just don't duplicate it with with Reese Hoskins and Bryce. Now, what do you, what's sorry. your feeling on buying the shirt off guy on corner? I'm not a I'm not a, as a you know I've done that I, you know done that a couple of times in my life. Okay, as see, well. oh, everyone wow. has admitted to doing it. Hmm. All right, well, more I'm people do it than I thought. Uh, listen, I'm more offended by the misappropriation of a, of a legendary nickname than I am buying of a of a knockoff T-shirt. That is so fair. I I respect that answer, Mosh. He's Jeff Mosher at Jeff Mosher NFL inside the birds powers football at four. We'll do it again tomorrow with Adam Kaplan right here on the sports best. All right, man. Later fellas. Good stuff as always from the inside the birds guys, Adam Kaplan will have more on Deshaun Jackson tomorrow. I know he's been in contact uh, with some people around the organization. We'll try to get a little deeper and we should have more information at football at four tomorrow coming up. We got a lot to dive into including John Clayton. The professor is going to talk more NFL with us. We'll get his take on these stadiums. Are they going to be filled? Are they going to be half filled? Are they going to be a quarter filled? I mean, how many fans can we expect to be in a stadium this year? John Clayton on that. Plus, we'll get his take on the Redskins, what direction they might go, and more on the NFL. Keith Smith later on as well. When we come back, uh, some new notes uh on the Phillies, but we got to ask Mike and Broads on the way. So, if you want to ask your questions, you can send them in now. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Mike, I just left EHG Canals by Lowe's. They have Oscar Blues 1Y. Now, does that mean he bought them, or he was just seeing if they had them? I'm wondering, like, did you, were you just looking for them? Like, hey, these guys, and, and where did you get them? And are you bringing them to me? Oh, now that's the real question. Ask Mike and Broads is on the way. Send your questions now. 609-403-0973. We answer your questions next. 973ESPN.com. 973. Send in your questions for today's Ask Mike and Broads. Easy to do. 609-403-0973. And of course, we'll answer as many as we can in the time. A lot it. Here we go. Now, I'm pretty sure that we were, we kind of discussed this before just a little bit, but Dan wants to know if Zach Wheeler will be booed the following season if he does not play due to COVID and not feeling safe. No. You don't think so? No. I would like the answer. Look, it's not the right thing to do, but the question is, will he be booed? And I think that there are... Why Zach Wheeler? Well, because he's not... Like if Aaron Noah did... Like is he is he implying because he came from the Mets? No, no, no. He's implying because if he doesn't play this year due to COVID, that he's not a Philly guy. Look, I, I know that sounds silly and ridiculous because it is, but there are people who believe, Gil, that this thing is a fake thing. 
So there are people out there that would look at him differently and go, dude, this COVID thing's not even real. You're telling me you're not going to go play baseball with the Phillies? And now they will not like Zach Wheeler because of it. No, I don't think so. I really hope you are right. But my gut feeling tells me that there will be people out there to no. boo Zach Wheeler. No way. There's people who think this, that this is if fake. If Bryce Harper didn't uh, play. Oh, there will be people who didn't like Bryce, who won't like Bryce Harper moving forward. They would like, okay, now batting right fielder number three. Bryce Harper. Boo! No. They did that this way. past year just for striking out. No way. I really wish you were right, but I don't think you are. I'm not booing them. I respect their decisions for not wanting to play, but people think that this is so obnoxious that they would look at them differently because they don't believe COVID is real. Uh, that's great. I mean, but you're, I don't. I can't see anybody getting booed. Really? In no. this city of Philadelphia, you don't think that somebody would get booed for not putting themselves on the field? No. I am shocked that you think that way. I know that we would never, but I just think that there are people out there that are so ridiculous that would actually consider not liking a player because he wasn't willing to play through this pandemic. I mean, I feel like most fans anyway are not even looking at the season as the same. Well, I can agree with you on that. So I can't see them holding it against somebody for not playing. For all of the crazy things we have heard from extremely passionate, irrational fans, as we say, I am shocked that you are claiming that there wouldn't be people to feel this way. I mean, okay, if I said there was... A handful, like not loud enough that you would notice. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be twenty thousand of Citizens Bank Park just raining down heavy booze well, on. Well, that's what people. I'm saying. Like, you, it wouldn't be noticeable. Okay, I might, I might have to agree with you that it wouldn't be noticeable. Noticeable, but I do feel as if there would be people out there that would be very upset with players deciding not to play. Like, what if we change this question? If Joel Embiid said he actually did say that he was not comfortable with what was going down, but if he opted out, would people in this city now look at Joel Embiid differently and not like him as much moving forward? I don't know. I mean, Embiid said that he didn't even want to play in this bubble, but he's doing it for his teammates. You don't hear this outpouring of love for Joel Embiid for like, yeah, that's our guy. Josh liked him today. He started the show off with that. I'm not shocked that he's the only one. He right, says I mean, he's the like, only one. That's the point is, like, there aren't these people who are just like, you know. Shake Milton, by the way, was very, uh, I thought, critical of playing. Like, he didn't think they should be playing in this bubble either. A lot of the guys do. It kind of ties into Mike our Scott was another question. one. Jason Blevins brought up yesterday. That interview we did with him. Listen to it on, uh, on our YouTube channel. He said Mike Scott not comfortable leaving his family. A lot of players seem to be not super pumped in the Sixers organization to go down there. But John asks, he says, Joel Embiid didn't seem energetic about playing in Orlando. I question his want to when it comes to dominating the league in Orlando. How can you question opting out yet be 100% mentally checked in? I think once you're there, you're in. Once the games go down? Yep. 
I feel maybe if Joel Embiid sees after five days or six days that, okay, the protocols are good, I trust the NBA, maybe his questioning on if this is good or not will then change if he sees that it's properly it's, okay. It's, it's that whole, like, the normal thing. It's like, you're like, oh, I don't want to shake this guy's hand, but then he sticks his hand out. It might not be you that is the aggressor. Like, normally, I would be like, hey, nice to meet you, shake your hand. Now I'm not sticking my hand out unless the other guy does. But once he does, then you're in that spot of like, what do I do? With Joel Embiid yesterday, I'm not going to lie to you. I am a little underwhelmed with his demeanor maybe or the the way that he was talking. He just didn't seem that juiced up about going in. I understand where John's going with this. It did seem as if... He wasn't really 100% in on playing, which is fair. I'm not upset if players don't feel comfortable. They are so entitled to not feel comfortable. But I just question how much he's willing to go out there and dominate if he's not 100% there and comfortable playing. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think once he gets out there, the normalcy feeling will kick in, I think. Like, look at these TBT guys. Do they look, I mean, like... You know what I'm saying? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because if they can execute this, and I do know that teams had to back out. You said the West Virginia team had to back out because of yeah, COVID. Yeah, there was a West Virginia team that somebody got COVID. They had to back out. Three teams backed out, Josh said. Yeah, I just saw the uh, brackets for this, and there was the five and the 12. The five team it's a, uh, had to back out. That game says canceled. Oh, wow. So in the middle of the tournament, or was that even before it happened, you mean? I'm not sure. Oh, but okay. I just saw them put the brackets up. It's like an NCAA type of bracket where, boom, and that was the 5-12. It was the Philadelphia Ballers against somebody, and the, the five seed had to, I guess, pull out. That game said canceled. Well, it does seem like they're doing a pretty good job other than certain cases like that. If they can execute this, I would expect the NBA to execute it. Here's the thing. We talk about how teams have to back out. You look at a squad like the Brooklyn Nets right now. I mean, they just literally have nobody to bring down there anymore, it seems. What if that one team that this does happen to ends up being the Lakers, ends up being the Bucks? Now we have a problem because that's the team that we expect to make it to the finals, right? If something like that happens to the Washington Wizards or the Brooklyn Nets, you don't really think about it. But if that one team happens to be the team at the top, now it's a problem. Well, yeah, what do you do in that situation if you have that happen? I don't know that they have something in place for that either. Well, what do you do? I mean, you just kind of give that team a bye, right? I mean, you can't throw another team in there. So if you're in the playoffs and you're set to face an opponent and that opponent can no longer play because they don't have enough... I, I mean, all right. There's no way that they're not going to have anybody available. You would just have to play all of your bench guys. So they would still play. Well, how about the Nets? They got four guys who aren't going that pull out. Spencer Dinwiddie, Dish, uh uh, DeAndre Jordan and a couple of other guys. But those two guys there, Jordan and Dinwiddie, are pretty important players for them. They've already pulled out. The The Nets have been given a, uh, an open window to sign four players now because of this. Right, so they'll be there playing. You'll just have to be playing with guys that are nowhere even close to as talented as what you would have went in there with. It's See, I just wonder what happens with this whole Brett Brown situation. If something happens with the 76ers, they are not healthy Let's say three or four guys have to quarantine and they can't play in the first round of the playoffs and they lose. Now, what is the question when it comes to Brett Brown? 
How do you actually assess this entire it's season? It's so hard to answer that question. I mean, if they lost in the first round to the Nets, what, they're not of, playing the Nets. I'm just saying, if if they play a team in the first round, no matter who it is, and they don't have three or four guys because they have to be quarantined, how can you actually look at Brett Brown and say, well, you got to win this series? If you don't have four guys because you have know. to quarantine, it's just crazy. Do yeah. you fire Brett Brown now? Well, I think most people out there would say you fire him anyway. You're right. He could win the title, and I think people are still going to fire him. Most likely. That's insanity to me, Go. It really is. We'll go to this one. Mike. Oh, no, this is from Mike, but he is talking to you. This is from Mike to Mike. I saw Broach's tweet last night. Isn't it a violation to watch two periods of a 1996 hockey game on NHL Network? Total. Come on, Gil. Total. Now, why is it a violation? I love this. Why I mean, is it a violation? I mean, I can understand maybe if it was an old Flyers game. But the Colorado Avalanche back in the mid-90s? Woo! Sure, I get it. They were good. But, I mean, seriously. If there was... Use this like Mosher said. Read a book. Read a book. Do something that's a little bit more educational than watching Joe Sackick in 1996. It's very educational to the hockey world. You know, like, look, if there was other sports... Watch Homeland. But that's get into get into a good show. I'm get watching a, Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, how but can I, you not? How can you disrespect that? No, I'm talking about you know you're doing that in the morning. Like get it to a show at night, maybe. Well, that's when I watch Love Island. I would pass on that and get into. I mean, that Americans was phenomenal. I don't. This Homeland, it gives you a really. It's almost fearful, by the way. It gives you a really inside look at like I'm sure they got a lot of they probably talked to a lot of people that worked at the White House and that were in the CIA or FBI or you know very high up to get in for, like on how these things are done and when you see some of this eh, you're pretty scared for your life right now to I'm- know that these might be Similarly, the way things are actually run, the way they're running this show. Oh, there's no doubt that there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that's happening like that's going on in that show. But when it comes to me, I'm strange. I understand that there's so many great TV series out there that's well put together. That's the one thing that the COVID uh, quarantine and all this, I I have enjoyed the no sports because I've watched shows that I never would have watched before. But even though I know they're out there and they're so good, I'm not willing to put the time in. I'd, I'd rather watch reruns of Friends that I can quote the entire show and the entire episode over watching those great shows. And I know they're great, though. That's the thing. I do. You think John Clayton wears the knockoff tee? Of course. Did you see that commercial? I mean, that's what made me think of it. He was wearing like a, a Megadeth t-shirt or something. I feel like he goes to those concerts and he maybe buys the knockoff tee. John Clayton joins us at 5 o'clock. Real quick, uh, ask Mike and Broads, are you guys in on the tournament basketball round of 16? $1 million winner take all. I will say this. I haven't watched anything yet, but I have today. This is the first time I've literally watched some action as we see a turnover there. Ooh, nice dribble. How about that? Okay, a little kick out for three. Oh, the whistle blew. But I will say, oh, I'm a, Aaron Kraft? I love Aaron Kraft from Ohio State, one of my favorite college players ever. Talk about me at LA I, Fitness. I like how they put together like White the socks. Old, is he wearing New Balances? What's he wearing on his well, feet? Well, Kawhi Leonard wears New Balances. Uh, I like how they put together like the old like 
college teams. Like the Army of Bayheim is all the old Syracuse guys. Like I like that. I do too, and I will say I, this right now, this moment has made me so intrigued that I think I'm now going to actually tune in more than I've I have. I've watched it in years past. It's a, it's on like at odd times now. Like it used to be on at night because like the summer league would be going on typically like right about now too. So they have like the summer league and this. Oh, Aaron Kraft with a short Jimmy. All right, does John Clayton buy knockoff tees? We'll ask him at five. South Jersey's favorite sports show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill, now has a podcast. You can listen. That's 609-403-0973. Coming up in 11 minutes, John Clayton will join us. Uh, Of course, uh, longtime ESPN insider, now writing for the Washington Post cover. He's their national NFL writer. We'll talk some more NFL with him. Keith Smith will talk some NBA with us coming up at 5.30 as well. Sports Bash brought to you by Bob McAllister. Call Comfort Now for discounts and rebates on qualifying cooling and heating systems. Visit Bob and the Comfort Now team online at I want comfortnow.com. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, at Broads81, at Mike Gill Show. Don't forget, you can download the podcast of today's show and all our shows. Get podcasts of the Sports Bash wherever you listen to your podcasts. Apple Pods, Google Pods, Breaker, Spotify, did I miss any of the big ones? No, those are the big ones. Anchor. Those are the big ones. So, did you see the story uh, about the two people who stole cars and then got into an accident with each other? I saw you tweet it out, and yeah. I was laughing. I don't usually like tweet those kind of things out, but I was laughing. I was like, this is 2020. I steal a car, and I get hit by someone else, and they also stole the car. Do you think they had insurance? I doubt it. Would it even matter if they stole the car? I guess it's kind of irrelevant, right? What, the uh, the well, insurance of the well, car? Yeah. Well, if it's a stolen car, who's getting it? Would he stop it and get insurance on the way? Guy, guy 800 Geico? Geico? Yeah, right. Hey, I just stole this car. Can you insure me? But I saved 15% or more by switching to My Geico. My girlfriend was telling me she's getting a rent-a-car. She's supposed to be going you know, away for a couple of days, and she was getting a rent-a-car. Okay. And in the rent-a-car agreement, it says if the car gets lost or stolen, that you're not responsible. I said, well, why don't you just leave it somewhere? I lost it. I don't know what happened to it. Well, why would you do that? Why would who do that? Well, why would she say she lost it or stole it? Because I'm- it says if you lose or the car gets stolen, that you're not responsible for paying for the car. So you mean she keeps it? No, and pretends that just, it was stolen? She's out on a vacation somewhere. Well, why wouldn't she just return it? Because What's your benefit? You don't have to pay for it. If you return the car, you have to pay for it. Here, I'm returning oh, the car. Oh, I get it. Okay, so a- a- you won't even have to pay it all for the rent. I mean, that's what I thought she said. I thought she said, look, there's this, you know, if you you got to sign the thing if you, if it, about getting insurance. If you get the insurance on the car. Right. So on the rent a car, like if you get into an accident or something. And that if you want to pay extra to get this insurance, and it was like if the car is lost or stolen, that you're not responsible for paying for the car lost or stolen. Right. I would, well, why don't you leave it in the parking lot at the hotel and take a Uber? I would think maybe you still pay for the days that you rented it before it got stolen. I'm I, not I don't, sure. I don't know, but it's interesting you bring that up because on a Seinfeld episode, I just watched where Jerry got a rent a car, but because the guy who parks the car on the streets was going on vacation, George did it. And George got in the accident, 
and he wasn't insured. George was the one driving the car, so when Jerry went to return it, he wasn't insured because he wasn't the one driving the car. So he got screwed because George was the one in the accident. Right, he was the parker. He was the parker. And he thought he'd be able to handle it. Gotcha. All the horns were going <laughs> off. He's screaming out the window. I'm loving this. I'm, t- I'm loving the grind through Seinfeld. It's like I haven't appreciated now, it. Where are you enough. at now? I left off with what was the last episode I watched? It was the whatever is after the whatever is after the one that I said I didn't like. Whatever's after the subway episode. I'm trying to think. It was late last night. I was dozing off a bit, so I turned it like, off. What season are you in? Oh, season three. Okay. Season so. three. Yeah. It's this is it's picked up because seasons one and two, they're funny, but it's not the prime of Seinfeld at all. I'm slowly starting to see it kind of develop into the greatness of Seinfeld. It's taking its steps, but I think I'm about to hit that stretch run here of the greatness of Seinfeld. Now, John Clayton's going to join us in seven minutes. He wrote an article for the Washington Post today. He says, as the deadline nears, Cowboys have added pressure to sign Dak Prescott to a long-term deal. So I'm gonna we're going to get into this with him with this Mahomes deal. If Mahomes signs for 500, 000, $500 million, big difference there, If Gil. you were Dak's agent... What are you asking for? I think you. It would be ridiculous to think that Pat Mahomes' contract would now think that that would force Dak Prescott to get paid more. I think what they were trying to get previously is still in the ballpark. Like, I think this is such an outlier. You don't really use Pat Mahomes' contract to then think that somebody lesser gets more money because this is just so out there and so unique and so different. I don't know if this specifically screws up the market. Do you think it does? I don't know. I don't... I, it shouldn't. Put it that way. You shouldn't be like, hey, because he signed for $500 million, we now deserve $350 million. That's my point. Like, has that now made them think that they could ask for a preposterous amount of money that, that he wouldn't have had the gall to ask for before? From an agent standpoint, yes, I do think they try and utilize that to get some leverage. But in reality, I don't think that it does give them. Much no, I leverage. saw. Uh, speaking of agents, I saw Lee Steinberg. Uh, he is the agent for Pat Mahomes. Now we had Mahomes. Uh, we had Steinberg on at the Super Bowl, and we asked him about Mahomes' contract. We got to get that audio because I don't remember his answer. But I thought it was something to the effect of, "Ah, we'll worry about that when we have to worry about it." But he tweeted that. In 1984, I just read about this in the USFL book, he negotiated the biggest sports contract at that time. Steve Young got a $42 million deal from the USFL's LA Express. And the deal was like so wonky because they couldn't afford it. They were just trying to get him in the building, like basically. And I don't think he ever ended up getting paid that deal because the league went out of business. But... Steinberg is now responsible for the biggest contracts in the history at two different times in two different leagues. We'll have him on at some point. Talk to him about it. 